You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem. Tonight, I'm joined by Jason. Hey. Nick will be here shortly. He's judging a tequila competition, yeah. uh, tequila drink competition over at Tequila Blue in Royal Oak. Uh, I'm not sure what that entails, but we'll find out shortly. Our special guest tonight, all the way from Holiday Market in Royal Oak, the beer manager, Ashley Price. Hello. Ashley, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so I just got back from Denver. Um, had a great time there. Uh, learned a couple things. So in Denver, they can't sell liquor out of grocery stores. Didn't know that. Um, and there is a couple of enormous liquor stores. I went to one called Apple Jacks and I swear to you, they have it had to be $10 million in inventory, mm. just astronomical amounts of things. And these, the, the thing that most impressed me the, out of the bourbon section uh, specifically are these huge handles of like almost like, you know, 1.75 liter gallon liter or gallon size of like anything you can think of. 1792. And that was a, tr- a chain? They had multiple? No, just one. Oh, okay. There's just one. Yeah. It's interesting. I've ever heard of that store. Yeah. And, and there's another one called Tipsy's Liquor World that I didn't get to go into. I'm familiar um, with that one. What's that? I'm familiar You're with familiar that, that one. Yeah. yeah and and that, that's like, that was as big as Applejack's. Um. The the selections there, like the stores and the, the bars, like kind of minimal comparatively to what we have here. Um, they don't have a state minimum. They can put anything they want on sale. Um, so the laws are, I think, vastly different than ours. Is it because everybody was getting high there or what? I don't know. I, I mean, in la- so that's <laughs> another stat that I learned. They, they made $1.5 billion in revenue off of weed last year. Hopefully they, we're next. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Big money. Yeah. Um, Tried a couple things out there to, to that uh, to that extent. <laughs> They're very good, um, better than the edibles I've ever I've had here, which have like thrown me into like a paranoia mm. fit. Um, these actually like relaxed me and did what they were advertised to do. The the um, dispensaries there, the guys have vast amounts of knowledge about everything they sell, which is refreshing. They're all very excited to be selling these weed lace products. Um, there's even, uh, I don't know what you call it, but like there's this like a THC powder it doesn't taste like anything. You can make anything, put THC into anything. Then your savories, your sweets, your water. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a pretty fun trip. I'm curious, uh, you know, since 
the legal the legal situation there. I wonder in the food and beverage scene if they do any sort of like uh, pop ups or if there's any has that um, sort of filtered into like the culinary scene. So if you can just sort of do the cooking or the cocktails with that, since it's so readily available. And- so one of the things I asked there was um, was just that that question about chefs using. Um, weed in more interesting ways because what you'll find especially with edibles is that you'll have a chocolate chip cookie that tastes like weed um or a brownie that tastes like weed you won't have a brownie that has notes of weed with that that kind of complemented by another element Mm -hmm. um the issue with doing pop-ups is uh that everything has to be lab tested Mm. so you can't have a chef go into a kitchen and cook with um uh weed butter and um you know have it be way too strong and like you know knock some people on their asses and um you're not going to kill anyone but it's like sure it, it's it's such so, a liability right um i just read about new york that they were doing uh certainly not anything regulated but more just like the supper clubs and the dinner parties where people were you know doing that and a yeah. couple of cocktail bars where it was like the wink and you got the hookup. <laughs> I know the beer industry is definitely – they're getting into it there. Oh, nice. They're doing THC beers. I mean, while well, I know there's a few being done out there, I don't know how available they are or anything. I mean, Hemper came here, but it wasn't a THC beer, but definitely used hemp as primary ingredient, and you could smell it. Hmm. It was unbelievable. We poured it on the growler station, and people up front were complaining. <laughs> like, really? it, was, it was strong. Yeah, it was unbelievably strong. And then actually after that, I had to replace the line. Wow. I couldn't get it out. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> so is that more of a gimmick in that situation, do you think? You know, or? you would have thought so, but um, yeah, the nose and everything aside, the beer was actually pretty good. Huh. It was um pretty solid IPA. I, I was shocked by the effect that the nose had just based on, I mean, we had a few people say, this beer is bad. It is skunked. And was just like, no, it's supposed to smell like uh-huh. that. I know it's, you know, you don't know right away. You think it says IPA, but no, it's like a new style of beer. It's hemp IPA which they're trying to coin and just move forward that phrase. They're hoping everybody goes legal and they can just put THC directly in it, I think, is the end game result of it. But even even if it's made legal, like it, like it is in Colorado, it's still very controlled. I, I mean, it's, Absolutely. It's, yeah. Um, and to, to Jason's question about like, you know, pop-ups and stuff, I, I feel like there's a, a, spe- a special, especially difficult part of doing it in Detroit is the lack of mass transit. In New York... If you do something like that, you get a little messed up, hop on the subway, you get yourself home. Here, um, there's just too many people driving around still. And, and people aren't using, you know, that, that, that drunk driving is a thing still around here. And it's more, I think, more than it is in, say, New York or Chicago, right? Because, you know, if you're, if you're out and about in New York and Chicago, you're paying, you're not paying to park your car, or drive your car, you're paying to walk and for the experience of wherever you're going. So that's a good point. Yeah. Um, what was the transit situation in Denver? There's a little bit of everything there. Um, I was staying out in the suburbs, so there was uh, it was very expensive to get uh, take an Uber down that way. So we were driving, but we if we partook in anything, it was at, at the house and not anywhere beyond that. They were very serious about that. Um, driving under the influence is a huge fine ticket, obviously, and is here too. Mm-hmm. I mean, more so over there. I think that they're. Um, if you're making $1.5 billion a year off something, you're going to protect your ass any way you can. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're making tons of money on it. Yeah, they so. can afford to enforce it. Yeah. And really make sure it's taken care of. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's Denver you know, in, a, in a little 
uh, you know, nutshell or whatever you want to say. But um, so got a couple you, distilleries out there, at least one big oh, one, Breckenridge, which Breck, has been yep. doing really well. And then there's uh, one uh, one with uh, uh, award winning one called Two Nine One, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they had one, they won multiple gold medals in 2017. Um, I almost bought one of their bottles, but they're hundred hundred twenty dollar range, geez. and this wasn't. To be fair, those medals, I mean, those competitions, we've talked about that in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's got an award for something. Well, There's yeah. also a million spirits competitions. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, you win and you win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was uh, another one called Laws that I tried a four grain bourbon. It was just okay. Hmm. Um, I didn't get to try the Breckenridge. Uh, there was at least five. Stranahan's are out there too. Yeah. They've yeah. got the malt uh, whiskey, I know. Yeah, we get Stranahan's is on the shelves here, right? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, all right, Ashley. Yes, sir. Holiday Market Beer. It's a huge part of business over there, it seems. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talk about – let's start with like just the, the, the sheer – like you do all the ordering and the merchandising and stuff like that. The, the sheer number of beers that are hitting Michigan, hitting the shelves. How do you keep up with all of that? Uh, well, honestly, it's a lot of research. It's tons of different things. Uh, a lot of social media, a lot of talking to my reps, a lot of talking to – yeah, people on the street, honestly, too, just trying to figure out, you know, some people know more things about me. I'm an inf- information gatherer. I honestly, I, I listen to everybody and try to get as much as I can, positive, negative, whatever's out there. And then try to disseminate for myself what's valuable and what's not. And sometimes that's difficult because there's a lot of misinformation out there, but there seems to be more and more things coming in. And it's at an alarming rate at this point. And I don't know that retail can continue to handle the amount of breweries beers on the shelves and everything at retail especially but well because every time you add one thing you gotta take something away right in my on my shelves that's exactly the problem because i have a finite amount of space and i'm kind of pushed into a corner and i don't have anywhere to expand so it makes it difficult that some beers have to go but it's just based on rate of sale i totally pick up on things that we just aren't moving fast enough it doesn't make sense to keep them on the shelf then they have to go and then when a customer asks for them sometimes i'll bring them back and give them another trial run and if it keeps going then i'll keep it but otherwise it just has to keep rotating it has to be different every time it's tough talk about rate of sale like how does how do you gauge obviously you're gauging that for, on some sort of like inventory program but what's a fast mover versus a slow mover I mean, I want a case to turn over at least once a month. And if it isn't doing that, then it's kind of an issue. It depends on the style also. I mean, I, I take that new account. If it's an IPA, I need it turning over once a month. Um, porter, stouts, you know, bigger beers, they can last a little longer, and I kind of don't have a problem with that. Barley wines, things like that. I mean, the Weyerbacher specifically, I carry mostly only their big beers, and they do move a little slower, but that's okay because I keep turning them over, and people keep asking for them, and it keeps me on the list for allocations too. So I just kind of keep things like that going continually for that reason. And so you mentioned allocations. Let's talk about that. So I think even more so now, like these beers that come out like Bourbon County – uh, KBS, Kentucky Breakfast Out, Canadian Breakfast Out. These are all beers that are given. You're giving a very, a given a very finite amount of, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, how does that work for you, like as a as a retailer? How do you? How are you picked? Well, um, for the most part, how it works is we sell their core. Um, they base core and seasonal, and they base allocation numbers off of how much core and seasonal you're selling in a given calendar year or depending on when, how, how many releases there are per year. 
just throughout the years judge based on how you're going. They give you a certain amount of cases. They pretty much take the accounts. Well, most good distributors will take the accounts in black and white numbers and go, okay, number one, you get the most and then scale it down, spreading it out as much as they can. Now, now, okay, so they is the distributor uh-huh. when when you're selling core beers that doesn't when you're so let's use Bourbon County as an example. It's a Goose Island beer. Uh-huh. Are they talking strictly Goose Island beers or all beers that the distri- all the core beers the distributor has? No, we're talking about Goose Island beers. Okay, so uh, Goose it would be the core Goose Island beers. Okay. So you well. It depends on corporate agenda for the year. Okay. Uh, Goose Island specifically will say that they're looking for Sophie, Sophie numbers. So that, that was two years ago or so. They were looking for an increase or a maintain of Sophie numbers. If you weren't selling as much Sophie or more as the previous year, you weren't going to get as much Bourbon County. And Sophie and that's is, as a distributor. And Sophie is what? Um, that's our Saison. Saison. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you're in an area that doesn't like Saisons as your general population, you're kind of screwed? It's kind of tough too because um, you teach them how to like saison. <laughs> yeah, I, there's several factors that go on with specifically Bourbon County in our area. Tri County is a non-equity wholesaler, which means they're not ABI related. What so is that? that kind of hurts them. So ABI, Anders Bush Inbev, um, okay. is owns Goose Island. Okay, and the uh, Tri County does not sell Bud, Bud Light core products like that. So they're looked at kind of not as well as a Bud wholesaler that has Goose Island. So they don't feel like why well, I'm judging from the way things have unfolded in the past, but uh, they don't, it, it seems like they don't feel because they are not carrying, but in other products that they are not worthy of getting more bourbon County. I, you know, I, I could be a little off base, but that's how it's felt the last few years. And based on what people have told me in the distribution and along with in the industry, that's what it seems like. But then you have beers like Kentucky breakfast out and Canadian breakfast out from founders. Who's a, a Michigan brewer. Mm-hmm. How does, how does their breakdown work? Same same type of way? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, but I sell so much Founders. A regular product, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we we, um, we clobber most of the tra- chains even. In, um, there's, a, there's a few that are way above us. The two Ann, Ar- um, Ann Arbor Meyer come to mind. But um, there's only a few stores that are above us when it comes to regular core sales for Founders. And we just we crank away with their product. It just happens to be with our demographic and who shops at our store. It definitely always benefits us to sell Founders Bells, a couple other brands that way. Um, so we usually end up getting quite a bit of any allocated release from founders. And so when you say you're clobbering like sales and chains, kind of situate your holiday market as you're not a chain though, because no. you're an indep- you're essentially an independent, correct? Right. Okay. But you're, I mean, you're definitely not a Meyer. No. Um, Is there, there's one in Canton that's not. So that's, so it's same family owned to okay. share a name. We share name only. So, I mean, we don't do any of the same ordering. Um, None of the same, well, as far as I know, none of the same things are on the shelf. I mean, obviously there'll be some similarities here and there, but the store structure and everything like that is just completely different. We do things one way, they do things another way, I assume. I don't really know. I don't go into that store. I don't really talk with their um, beer guy that often. I see him once once a year, probably, maybe twice a year. Um, But... Some distributors will view us as an independent chain, even though we're really not because we don't share ordering strategies. Um, but most distributors will just count us as an independent. But we don't fit into that for the most part because we're a larger grocery store at the same time. But we don't fall in a big box either because we're not as large as they are. So it's it's kind of an interesting um, crossroads that we sit at. But we get more customers because of the grocery pattern that we have in the store. 
that will buy certain beers, but I think that just helps our macro sales and really our everyday beer sales versus the beer geeks that just buy certain things. So, I mean, we are, we are helped by everything, our area, the people that shop there, the grocery, I mean, there's tons of factors that help us sell more beer. Now I, I talk about the, let's talk about the beer geeks for a second. Cause you, you, you run a pretty great Facebook page where you, you announce the beers that have arrived for the day, you announce your growler fills, and then you have your special releases. Oftentimes, uh, I'll notice you'll post something, say, at noon, and by 12.15 or 12.30, everything's gone. <laughs> like, all the special release beers are sold out. Um, so there is some element of people that, that, like, that watch for your posts every day, right? That, that see what's new, what's exciting. Can I – hi, Nick. Sorry I'm late. I thought you guys started at 7. <laughs> <laughs> that would make you even later. Um, so, oh yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. So the, the power of Facebook and like these these beer geeks or whatever you want to call them. I, I don't know if that's offensive or whatever, but <laughs> I don't think it should be. I um, mean. But these people that just like sit on the edge of their seat waiting for something, are, are, are they the same people or are they – is it always different for every release? Do you notice? Uh, sometimes it's different for every release. I guess it depends on the beers. Um, I will definitely see similar people come out for big mead releases as well as sours, but then maybe see a little bit different people come out for stout releases and IPAs and things like that. So it's all, it's all about what people want. And it is really interesting seeing how how much Facebook has really affected our business. I mean, I started a page a long time ago. I, I can't even remember. Maybe 10 years ago at this point. Maybe you know, it's nine or 10 years ago. How long have you been there? 12. Okay. Yeah. I, as the beer, as the beer guy of 12 years right okay. around there this year. Um, yeah, I probably started the page about nine years ago, just thinking that I'd get some friends that like the page and then I can get some kind of draw some business from that. And it just kind of evolved far, far, farther and faster than I thought it would get to as large as we got. And I mean, yeah, people always look for the releases and they're anticipating them for the most part. And I fuel it a little bit. I mean, obviously I'm a salesman. I mean, that's the kind of the point. I look for certain things. I know what people want. So, I mean, if it's going to be like a small release or something kind of hard to get, I try to base it around a certain time, but I also try to spread it out so people can get it. So I I try to get things to as many people as possible. That's why the limits are placed where they are. Because if I didn't, I mean, if I just left things open, it would be gone in an instant, less than 30 minutes. But sometimes we we just, I I don't wait for people to start come asking me questions about certain beers. So I want to just put it out, get it online and get it going rather than have a million questions and then have to either lie about the situation or tell them that we have it, but we're not selling it yet. And that's really irritating. It irritates me to say it, it irritates the customer. And I'd rather just try to, I try to listen to people as much as possible and just make things as easy as possible on everyone. Um, so are there, are there times where you, you get a beer in stock and you have to like sit on it for two weeks or a week or something like that? No, almost never. Okay. No. Um, I only do that with you don't really have a stock room, do you? I mean, you kind of do. Oh, yeah. Ours is enormous. Is it? I have a huge, huge area for backstock. Yeah. Is it just like around the corner? All if I, I didn't, it would be office. literally impossible. Okay. I, it's across the store. Um, yeah, our area, we sell a lot of beer. There's just not enough room for that. I probably sell a thousand cases a week. There's just no room for that in that area. So, yeah, no, we have a huge back room. So if we don't see what we want, we can ask you to go check in the back. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a tag for it on the shelf, I don't have it. <laughs> So talk about the, the sale. Can you talk about the sales of beer versus wine versus liquor? Like, Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm always the lowest out of those three. Um, it just, in it's just volume or I'm, I'm talking about revenue. Okay. Revenue dollars per week. I that's, mean, it's just, and that's tough. It's, it's nearly impossible yeah. because of the 
price per bottle. Right. I mean, literally, they sell way less than me in cases, but the price per transaction is much larger. So it's really hard for me to kind of catch up. I've been starting to beat liquor every few weeks in sales, which is kind of amazing to me because it's been years of me being way below, way below, way below. And I'm closing in. I'm not really closing in on wine, but I beat him one week and I was excited about it because <laughs> it's been 12 years of attrition, essentially. You know, it's one of those things like I'm never going to beat them. And I knew I would that week just because of rebuttals release. But it was it was one of those things. I was really excited about it when I saw the numbers on Monday. I got in there and I bugged the accountant as soon as I walked in the door. <laughs> Let me see that. I got to know. I got to know. And rebuttal is was. But, rebuttals was our Shrams collaboration release. It was um, statement. The statements are Balaton Cherry Mead aged in our Weller 107 barrel with cocoa nibs and vanilla beans. Damn. Wow. Was that the one that had your face on it? No, that was Sir Ashley. That was okay. That was a B Nectar collab. Got it. Okay. So, okay, so let's talk about these collaborations. So, you brought one with you tonight, in fact. Yep. Right? So, that, this was called, this was really called Beer Beerception. Barrelception. Um, and so, this is from New Holland. Yep. What is it? Um, all right. So, Barrelception kind of started as a thing where we were picking a barrel from New Holland, one of their um, beer barrel bourbon barrels. And um, I asked, I always ask the question, well, will you fill this with something? Because I, figure why not ask them because maybe they say them for the most part they've always said no we've never done that before I'm like well what can it be your first time so i uh i finally got them to say yes after asking about four times prior to getting the barrel to us and so once i got it once we actually got the barrel done got it to us it was supposed it's funny because it was supposed to stay at the brewery because the distillery is not that far away from the brewery side so we were hoping they would just move the barrel over and it ended up at our, I think it was national dis distribution, the liquor distributor in Highland Park. And the barrel ended up there. So my rep had to go get it and drive it back to New Holland when it should have just crossed a room, essentially. So that's actually, yeah, it's one of the more interesting parts. So it got there and then they asked me, well, do you want Poet, Dragon's Milk, or Night Tripper in it? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Night Tripper? Delicious. Full body, thick, stout. I'm like, you're always doing dragon's milk and poet's too light. No, let's do night tripper. It's a big beer. So we threw it in there and then I said, Well, can I put stuff in it? <laughs> She's like, What do you mean? I'm like, adjunct. She's like, Well, only stuff they can find around New uh, around Holland. And I said, All right, that that doesn't seem difficult. Well, can they find vanilla and hazelnuts? And she's like, Well, yeah. I'm like, okay, we'll throw that in there. And I and months ago, and we I said, and they they sent me the brewers kept sending me emails. You know, how long do you want it to sit here? Do you have a timeline? When should we get it to you? All this other stuff because they said we're not going to package it. And I'm like, yeah, it's too small of a run. I can definitely just take the growler fills. So they sent back kegs. I said, just hang on to it until you think it's perfect. I said, leave it in there. I don't I don't see any. I'm not in a rush. Tell me when you think the beer's awesome. Then send the kegs to me. And I got the call maybe three weeks ago and she said, well, they're telling me the beer's done and we're going to send it to you. And I said, fantastic. And we threw it on, I think last week was the first time we put it on tap. And it's, it's really good. And what is the goal with, uh, with these beers in terms of, uh, it's, it's a special, you know, single, your pick, right? So yep. this is Ashley's pick, but like, um, do you eventually hope that these beers are going to have a following and like you're going to release them year year after year or is it, are these one time only it's a one time shot i think i'd prefer they were one time shots okay. i mean i'm trying to do something different every year when it comes to retail i try to come up with just a different experience and a different idea because if i'm just like everybody else in the sales starts drop and that's why i came you know 
the growler fill station, once that law got approved, I was excited because I'm like, well, I want to be one of the first to do it. So I knew when it was coming out and when they were going to have it ready to go. So I threw that on there. And then right after that, well, I was doing like one or two collaborations when it came to the barrel picks and I just decided to fire it up and ask everybody. So literally everybody that I knew that I had a connection to a brewery with, I was asking, hey, take this barrel, take this barrel, take this barrel. And I just kind of went down the line. And I mean, some people I have to ask four or five, six times and then they cave. But that's kind of, you know, I I just, I I figure I can't keep doing the same thing every year and expect to keep growing. So I want to keep doing things differently and try to find new avenues to explore. And it's sometimes it's not always easy, but that makes the job interesting. So you've done other picks with shorts? Yeah. So we sent shorts two barrels. Oh my God. Two years ago now. So we sent them our Valentine pick and I think that Blanton's barrel. Now that I think about it. Um, so when you say that, so you, oh, you brought a yes. bottle. I brought of, a uh, store pick from 2016. 2016 nice. Blanton's. This mm-hmm. is some. This is pretty special. No, we haven't had let's a. Get in there. Yeah. Let's. Okay. I'll start pouring. And yeah, we have another store pick coming for that. Um, a new Blanton's store pick coming in the next few weeks, hopefully in about a month. So that should be interesting. As hard as Blanton's is to get currently, yeah. that'll be really nice to have it on the shelf. Sure. Well, for for the day, you know, for a short amount of time. If it goes as fast as our Weller, it's not going to be good either. So. So let, let's talk about this for a second because now we're talking about bourbon. So you do mm-hmm. the you do the bourbon. I assist with the bourbon. Well. I help Adam out as much as possible. Adam Nickerson is our liquor guy, but um, the two worlds kind of collide when it comes to craft beer and bourbon. So I try to give him as much help and try to gain some knowledge from him as also. So wherever I can. And how is the, how is the bourbon uh, part of all of this going? Because this is this is becoming as crazy. You said you just oh, mentioned yeah, it's, Weller. It's totally crazier. I, I think it's crazier than beer is. It's funny because I, I feel like it's where um, a beer was maybe seven or eight years ago when it came to allocated releases. We would get very little of some things and then we'd be gone instantly. And that's kind of how it feels with some of these bourbon things. Like he'll get one to three bottles of something. And yeah. I remember getting a case of certain things or six bottles or 12 bottles of things when it came to beer. And people are just expanding and expanding how much they make. And bourbon, on the other hand, is still coasting along with that three to six bottles release in the state, you know, per, per account kind of situation. So that makes it really hard to get. Well, but, it takes um, longer to make bourbon than beer, right? Totally true. Yep. <laughs> that makes a big difference. But now, I don't know enough about bourbon but and maybe the answer is the same, but years ago, maybe and maybe 10 or 15 years ago, beers like Bourbon County and 120-minute IPA, and those would sit on the shelves. They would be there. They would collect dust. They would be like, oh, what the hell is this $9 bottle of beer, right? Absolutely about, yeah. true. So was bourbon the same way? Yes. We're, okay. So like 15 years ago, Weller just sat on the shelves? Not even that long. 10 years. Weller? Five years ago. Um uh, Pappy Van Winkle used to sit on our shelves eight years ago. Sit. 23 here. Just sitting on the shelf. No one would buy it. Every once in a while, someone would pick up a bottle and that would be it. There would be, we used to have three different variations on the shelf. We'd have 15, 20, and 23 just sitting there. No one would buy it. Oh, that's too expensive. I'm not going to pay that for bourbon. I mean, you just seen how small our bourbon section was compared to what it is now. It was probably a third, maybe a quarter of what it is now. It's wow. absolutely insane. And we're shrinking other sections to take care of it because the sales are just so large how is how is scotch doing because i feel like you have a big scotch selection and i don't 
Does it move? You know, it moves okay. okay. It, it picks up and goes down. It just depends on the time of year, really. Um, presents during the holidays, things like that for your boss mm-hmm. or your, your husband or whatever, a wife, whatever. It just it seems to pick up during the holidays. But for the most part, it's kind of a dog throughout the rest of the year. It, it moves okay in certain spots and certain ones. There We do get allocated releases from Scotch also, but not as frequently and maybe not as sought after for the most part. So that was a big debate I had with the Michigan Bourbon Club talking about whiskey experience. They said you have too many scotches. And Dave Harden was very adamant about having scotches. And I think that's the the trend is it's not selling as much as it used to. Yeah, not at all, I don't think. What, why? What do you, like, why are people upset that there's too many scotches? Why is that a thing? Um, I think they just were hoping maybe there would be more bourbons on the list. And maybe scotches were filling those spaces. I mean, I know why bourbons sell better. I, I think for the bottle of scotch, which you have to pay for... A bottle of bourbon, you are spending more money on the scotch Shipping. for a similar yeah. product, yeah. like really similar quality product. You're spending way more money. You know, your typical good scotch starts at seventy, eighty dollars, and your good bourbon is at fifty, sixty, or forty, really, forty, fifty. You but at the same time, bit. those guys in Mystery Bourbon Club, I mean, they're willing to pay secondary prices on bottles shipped to their house all day long. Right. So they're not Michigan it's, Scotch Club. It's either. more about uh, a lot of that stuff's more about the marketing and the fear of missing out and the. Oh, phone was awesome. hype, you yeah. know, because <laughs> the price thing, I mean, I know that's originally the idea is like the value is in bourbon when you consider the price of the single malts, mm-hmm. but when you factor in what people pay on the secondary market for things, that doesn't seem to hold up kind of, in my opinion. I'm in McAllen, a, a collectibles group too. That's really interesting. Let's look at those prices on secondary. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely insane. When I was in Chicago a few weeks ago, it wasn't even a secondary, but they just had the Belvany, I think it was a 50 at uh, Benny's in the back room. It was like 50 grand. That sounds about right. Yeah. There are two 50-year-old McAllen's Not including in the 10% city tax. or in the state. What's right up? Now. There are two 50-year-old McAllen's in the city right now. Hmm. Wait, right. are they still there? Yeah. Oh, man, I feel bad. You know where them. it is because yeah, we I talked do. about it. Yeah. <laughs> what do those go for? 25, isn't it? I thought it was higher. Oh, maybe you're wrong. 25,000? Yeah. It was, it's, oh, it, was, it was tens of thousands. Yeah, it's 25 or 30 grand. I can't remember off the top of my head. I have to look it up. But if you see me on the street, ask me about the story. I won't talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, the so, guy at Benny said that they had a guy that a guy bought one, and he was some like hedge fund guy from New York, and like he just like sent his man on a plane to go to Chicago to pick this bottle up, and I was like, wow, that's <laughs> that's something else. So back in the day, and again, we're we're moving out of beer. You had a bottle of Black Pearl. Um, no, we didn't. Oh, you just had the sticker. Yeah, I just had the tag. So ex- explain that. I because I, I, I remember I took a photo of it. Like, holy right. crap! Yeah, that was never in the store. Thirty <laughs> thirty two thousand dollars. Our our old liquor manager uh, Lou, I think he kind of put Adam up to putting that sticker on the shelf. And be like, we'll order it for you. Yeah, you need a deposit and a down payment. And I'm like, guys, so ridiculous. Why would you even put that on the shelf? Just because it's funny. What is it? I'm like, yeah, uh, it's rum. No, it's cognac. It's oh, um, it's cognac. That's right. That's right. I'm gonna be wrong. Um, I'm gonna be wrong about the maker. So I'm Louis? Shut my... is it Louis? Yeah, it is yeah. Louis the Thirteenth Black Pearl, and it's so it's Louis the Thirteenth. On top of that, they're limited edition Black Pearl. And wow, I think it's a diamond in the bottle or something like that. It's like thirty. It's thirty two thousand dollars. It's a wow. nice bottle, but I would hope. Yeah, you better be right. <laughs> we there's a bottle back in my house. We can try it uh, of Black Pearl. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um. Talk no one about, believes me. I don't know why. <laughs> talk about pricing for a second. So the the bourbon. So there's state minimums. Do you Correct. guys always do you guys price the state minimums for the most part? We absolutely do with everything now. Yep. Every everything. Yep. Okay. Well, with with liquor, 
I yeah. mean, that's the only thing it's stayed in aluminum. So, yeah. Right. Yep. Everything's in statement. Whereas beer and wine, you can sale? Uh, technically, no. We can't go under cost. Okay. So whatever it costs us, I can't go below that unless we're discontinuing the item. On your little, your little secret shelf? Oh, yeah, pretty much. Well, no. That shelf is actually... That's product I bought at a discount. Got it. Okay. So that's a little bit different. Okay. So w- with beer, um, you have a particular... like. I feel like beer is one of the... the thing where the the people where that buy a lot of it are most vocal about about pricing right so there's like people that gouge and then or they assume that they gouge them so there's this idea of margins and um we're very close to a store that gouges right. are, what oops <laughs> never mind <laughs> sorry ashley <laughs> no not it's not it's not ashley no it's no, it's, it's uh it's on the corner there not yeah, that far away like throw a football at it. Uh-huh. um but so you guys you being part of a grocery store you're able to work at a lower margin on beer or is that not true? Um, I don't know if that's completely true. I'm given a goal to hit when it comes to a gross profit and I base everything I do off of that. I want to be a touch above the goal just so I have some wiggle room essentially. But for the most part, I try to stay right in, in line with that. Um, but that's, I, I suppose that it's probably lower than party stores and liquor stores based on what they have to do when it comes to pricing. And I, obviously I, I don't know their business models versus what ours is. So I couldn't tell you 100%. But I know that grocery store, uh, their gross profit for the most part will be lower typically than a, a party store or a smaller store. All right. So as a full-time salesman, the fact that you kind of have this goal, I get it. But if you're not making it, do you like call up Joe and like, hey, Joe? I really need you to buy some more beers. <laughs> like, how do you make it if you're not making it? No, it's more about, um, it's about the gross profit. So it's about each individual sale. So it's not really about okay, my actual revenue. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. We're talking about, yeah, what percentage goal. So okay. if my sales are down as my gross profit is where it should be, there's not really that much complaining because it's something maybe I'm just not doing, but not all, everything is bad. Like if my gross profit's down and my sales are down, then that's something to complain about. But if you're doing well, will you ever be like, all right, we're going to mark this, you know, a little bit lower? Because I'm um, feeling happy. I balance. I mean, okay. sometimes I really have to do that based on the things not moving or selling. Yep. And sometimes you can mark things. I can mark things a little lower just to try to get them moving or out the door faster. And I put things on sale for, I also do that when it comes to seasonals to build allocation too. So, I mean, there's, the disco there's a lot of reasons for it. The disco buggy is really not for that. That's that's just uh, stuff I'm trying to help clear out of warehouses oh. for the most part. So. so that's stuff coming, not that you had. Nope. For okay. the most part, it right. is not. No. There are some things in there occasionally that we will mark down from the shelf, but not that often. How how do you figure out? So let's use like Evil Twin for an example. For example, Evil Twin puts out a lot of beers. Yep. Um, and, and some of them are vastly more expensive than like your normal shelf. Like you, you have, I think it was uh, the Perfect Nose. Or? Yeah, I still have Perfect Nose on the shelf. Perfect Nose is what, 45? 46, something like that. 46 bucks for a bomber? Yeah, I think that's gone actually. I'd have to double check my shelves, but yep. So that's, that's an expensive bottle of wine for the, mo- like a, a mid, you know, mid-range bottle of wine. It's an upper bottle of wine. Yeah. Um, how do you pick and choose which, uh, when, when you have like, a huge portfolio of one, one beer, one uh, brewer, like Evil Twin, how do you pick and choose one to bring in? Do you bring them all in? Um, let me start by saying the most expensive thing will always sell. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I mean, up to a certain point, obviously with your thirty, forty thousand dollars 
McAllen <laughs> sitting there, maybe that's not the price point. But for the most part, anything that's higher, if I get beers in the 40s or 50s, and that's kind of what's offered to me, and usually there's very few of the beers available. So usually it'll be like, well, you can have six of these. And I'm like, well... They're like nowhere. I'm sure I can find six people to buy them. So that actually, that helps. Usually you're not going to find, okay, here's your $50 bottle of beer. You can have 20 cases. Be like, nope, (laughs) let's let's turn that off right now. That's not going to work. And usually it doesn't. So it's just, it's about scarcity along with having a higher price. Those two things go in well together and people seem to to come out for for things like that. When it comes to portfolios, uh, portfolios, um, I, I struggle sometimes with picking and choosing certain things. I mean, there will be beers that come out that absolutely sound disgusting and I will bring them in anyway for the most part because I may think that I have a customer for it or I kind of try to judge off of on tap reviews and check it out and just base it off of maybe some other things I see on social media and just try to pick and choose certain things. But it's not always that easy. I, I, I wish it was. Um, I, and sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I flat out, I'll bring something in and it won't move and I'll be like, I really wish I wouldn't have done that, but you know, it is what it is. And but usually in those cases, I brought in one case of it. So it's something I could figure out how to get through, mark it down, whatever I have to do to get through that case and move on to the next thing. I never want to have, especially with beers like breweries like Angel Twin, McKellar, things like that. I never want to bulk up and have too much inventory because they're always coming out with five new beers. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure I'm moving through whatever inventory I have so I can move on to the next thing and have room for it because it'll probably be the thing that's absolutely going to fly off the shelf. But if I decide, oh man, I have way too much of this stuff right now and I avoid the next beer, then I may have missed a sale opportunity. Does catering ever come to you and be like, I'm making a chili. I need beer. They usually kind of have a set thing for what they're doing. So they like pick lager or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever cheap vodka they're using and everything else. I mean, usually we don't get requests for higher end beers from catering. But it's not that you would try to use it up in that way. No. Okay. No, I wouldn't. I mean... No, I just, I guess it depends on the beer too. I mean, but usually they're so weird flavor wise that it's just not, it's not going to work with whatever they're making. So, well, and that's what fascinates me about grocery stores is now as more of them add catering and pre-made food and even restaurants, they are reusing a lot of their old produce and things like that because it's a great way to use up stuff. So I was curious if that's trickling down to the beer department. Yeah, not really. I mean, I don't know that they, they order wine upstairs to do, to use with certain foods and things like that. But it's for the most part, I do not see them using much beer in, in the food they make. So Tracy, when it comes to catering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't, I mean, Chef Leo runs, runs the kitchen, but, um, yeah, as far as I know, they don't, they don't come to from, for a lot of requests to me. Uh, I know that, um, we get, requests from the meat department for their brats and things like that. Oh, like yeah. they'll do uh Whitaker key and use um, white beer for that. And a couple other things that they use during, usually during Oktoberfest season and stuff. Times Sausage like that. Fest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Good times. How do you build out? Uh, how do you choose what beers go on your end caps? Um, usually seasonal, usually things I want to move a whole bunch of, and I know we will move a whole bunch of, um, Sometimes I just test the waters with it. Um, I put backwards on an end cap at the front of the aisle just to see if we could get it moving. Maybe people hadn't seen it in a while and just try to get through a bunch of cases initially. So backwards, backwards bastard. bastard. I'm sorry. The, Founders the, backwards bastard. The um, barrel aged Scotch ale, right? Yep. Okay. Um, I, it just kind of depends. My uh, really in that spot right now, I have um, Bell's Pool Time, which just came out last week. Their cherry wheat ale, um, short soft braid shandy which is a blend of soft parade and 
the lemonade they made there versus last year's was the Northwoods lemonade. They made their own lemonade this year. Solid gold. Uh, you know, I don't have solid gold in an end cap, but it's an L1 with a bunch of stacks. Okay. The other end cap would be um, Oberon right now. I have right. 12 pack cans, which fly during the summer. So that only made sense. I do have solid gold stack. The 24 packs are really moving for me. 15s too. Nice. That, and that's founders. Yep. Founders solid, solid gold. gold. Yep. The 24 packs, what, like 18 bucks or something like that. It's, it's to like, say I run at the same price as the rest of the macro. So, yeah. but, but like most oh, okay. it's all the same price. So they're 17 99 right? uh, yeah. And so let's talk about uh, the, the growlers now, too. Um, so you have your own picks sometimes, and then I see that you're getting some pretty interesting kegs coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, how, 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 how long have you been doing the growlers, and then how well are they doing for you at this point? Well, actually, this week marks a year. Yep. So okay. when we were looking at the um, – I was looking at sales numbers last week, and I was like, oh, this is the first week we had growlers last year. That's pretty cool. So I, uh, I had them run a 12-month report just to make sure we weren't – in the red and uh apparently we're doing fine so i guess i was like oh that's a good thing at least it paid for itself and um i mean everything's going great with it sometimes it's slow we're in a kind of a slower season with it right now um and it, once it gets warmer like this we're gonna see a lot more growler sales people going out vacationing everything else we had a really big peak last year during memorial day so i assume we'll have another one same time period um i, I feel like they slowed slightly i feel I knew I this was going to happen. I just I, I didn't know how long it would take. I figured maybe two years I had into it, and then it would slow down. I I mean I told um, uh, Red Tap uh, built our growler station to a fantastic job. Um, nice. <laughs> I uh, I once 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 I talked to BC about it, I told him, look, we're gonna. We're going to build this. And he's like, well, you know, this isn't going to, I'm like, I already know that this isn't going to last forever. I already kind of have another idea for this spot once this is not working anymore. So the, the plan was to, you know, I think this will last two, three years and then fizzle. And I'm going to try to transition into something else, maybe a large cooler for singles or something in that spot. Cause it's a good spot. And I already realized that I do not need the floor space for stacks at this point. So I kind of have an idea going with that, but, um, cause that was just like mass of certain products. If I remember correctly. Yeah, essentially it was. It was 12-pack storage. And we kind of didn't need it because we're running the back off it enough. It didn't make that much sense to keep that there. And it wasn't that necessary. Um, For the most part, the fills has been interesting. Um, Just getting the hang of pouring growlers, um, figuring the loss into the pricing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things just have to do with the pricing and just making sure we're fair. And sometimes it's difficult because sometimes we have either issues with gas the keg itself, key kegs. I, there's just there's so many variables I just didn't think of when we first opened it. And changing lines when it came to certain beers, we've had to change lines due to two beers specifically, and it's just it's 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 just a really strange experience. But oh, luckily we have short lines, so it's fairly inexpensive. Um, but for the most part, I just kind of put different beers on there all the time. I look for kegs and inventories that are sound interesting to me things that become not allocated anymore because salesmen didn't sell all their allocations or I uh, look for, I just look for variation. I want to have four different beers for the most part on the system. The only style that we've really kind of struggled with selling was sours. Mm. And that's just, I, I thought we would be a little better off with that, but it's been kind of tough trucking, but there, there's some, there was some good stuff that's been on and off. That's kind of come and gone when it came to sours. So we've been moving through them, but just not as effectively as I wanted. How big are these kegs? Are they halves? And they're all different sizes. I pick okay. whatever is, sounds good and is available. So I go six quarter and half, okay. depending on what, 
what's there. I'd love to carry all half barrels because it's cheaper, but it's not oh, always. Okay. Plus, but, yeah. but my kegerator only fill, fits three half barrels. So I actually need to have more variation in size because I can't fit four beers in there right. if I only have three halves. Is there any type of strategy in terms of, aside from having four different beers, like do you have a, a, like a schedule of kegs? Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I go after trends and then we walk into the cooler and I go, hmm, maybe this one. And I just kind of pick and go. And that, that's essentially how it works. I've been trying to stave off of buying more things because we're kind of full when it comes to space. But if, whenever something, I'm really bad shopaholic when it comes to that. Because when something good comes up, I'm like, I got to buy one. Okay, how many are there? You only have eight? Well, I should buy four. Like, what the hell am I going to do with all those? But I end up, yeah, I do stuff like that and then realize that, wow, I bought too much beer. And, I mean, it, we usually get through it, but it's always fun to hang on to something for a little while and then, like, pour it later. And people are like, oh, I haven't had that in forever. And then we'll be the only person in town, not even just town, in the area that has it. And, and that makes it kind of interesting. We still have a keg of wolf tone sitting in our cooler. And Dan said that, uh, Dan Riley from Axel said that, well, you have, like, the last one now because I think... uh when I bet he's poured theirs, I'm like, oh, that's good to know. <laughs> right, so when you say you walk into the cooler, can you buy kegs? Uh, yeah. You, you guys, uh, the general customer can buy kegs for me. I, I don't think I knew that. Okay. I usually, yeah. I usually, um, I work off a pre-order system so that we can get them as fresh as possible okay. for the customer rather than what most party stores do is to just have them sit there and then you come pick it up, but not knowing when they got it mm -hmm. or, you know, any other information. So especially with hoppy beers, I like to keep everything. I like to keep everything fresh. So, I don't have things just sitting in the back unless it's like this time of year. I usually keep an Oberon, but that would be really about it. But I, I can essentially get anything within two days. Hmm. So I pre-order things constantly for people. I don't have a ton of space, but I have enough to order five to six or seven kegs a week. So we, we go through that much sometimes. That's great. Hmm. When when you talk about freshness, especially with IPAs, and I see like when you get, say, M43, and for example, there's you'll, you'll post like the um, canned on date, right? Um, mm -hmm. do you often have to, I don't know if you throw away beers or like if they go past a certain freshness period, like it's M43 one where if it's like two, two weeks on the shelf, does it like go bad? I, I don't No, not at all. Um, that doesn't turn into a pumpkin or anything. We're, okay. we're good. Um, good for a long time. And actually they had some issues that are with the distributor and dating and, and things like that recently, which it's kind of come been fixed so that was the reason for me posting the last time i posted the date so that was i posted a 426 date a few days ago i just want I mostly want to just let people know that everything is caught up like we are all good to go that was really the only reason for it um if beers have a best buy date on them i either pull them or discount them after the best buy date so i essentially do that i have i I think I still have one twenty-two ounce of Enjoy Buy in my cooler and it was at 849 it's at 549 now so I try to drop the price and make it easier for people to buy things like that that aren't they're still good they're just not as good as the brewery would want you to buy them so I feel like a discounted price is fair can the average consumer tell the difference probably not okay I feel like there's a lot of hullabaloo about these fresh this idea of freshness yeah. and I feel like cat grass yeah it's I mean that, up soon yeah are they doing it again mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's I think I think a week or two. I think I have some for Blasher. <laughs> and, oh, good. And that's I mean that's a beer specifically. That's that's you're supposed uh, to consume it on the same day, right? Same. It's bottled that day and shipped that day, right? Yeah, correct. Just like born yesterday from Lagunitas. It's the same situation. Okay. Yeah, I think we should compare them because I'm pretty sure I have one left from last year. I, I might so. have one too. 
Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I have Hop Slam from four years ago or something oh, like that. Good. <laughs> Drink those right up. <laughs> well, but again, like these beers don't. I mean, they're probably not. I, there's ter- nothing that's going to hurt you in them, right. but they may not. They're not going to taste good. You know, it's just uh, well, per what the brewery would want you to do, it just won't taste good according to them. It doesn't mean it won't taste good according to you. People sell our Hop Slam all the time, and they're like, "Oh, it's better after a year." <laughs> You know, and people will sit there and fight with them on that. But if it tastes better than them, then it just does. Does Oberon taste the same that it is last year? <laughs> That's a fairly <laughs> often asked question. It's funny. I don't hear it. I haven't heard it this year yet. But it's that's that's always asked. I heard that at Honest John's this year a little bit. Oberon tastes different? Yeah. Oh, it's way different. Yeah. <laughs> it's just they got too big. It tastes it's better when it was Solson. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so there is, there was a beer store that I went to years ago, um, back when I lived in the St. Croix Shores area and back when beers would sit on the shelf and I, and I noticed like the turn, like five years from that point, I would go back in there and all of a sudden those beers that were sitting five years ago are now, uh, uh, like, uh, they're aged mm-hmm. and, and now they're more expensive <laughs> and it was a bizarre that turn of events. One store. <laughs> <laughs> and th- it would be like, oh, here's your Bigfoot from, you know, uh, 90, 97. Cellared. And now cellared. it's cellared, as you know, and now it's $60 a six pack <laughs> instead of the original. Is this store four. at 12 Mile and 94? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know that store. This guy knows his shit. Oh, yeah. It's got a uh, reputation. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's had some awesome beer sitting there years ago, and I had a, a rep that, with, the thing is, you have a rep go in there, and I'm like, go buy those. And he's like, he told me he only bu- sells the stuff to regulars. Like he's not selling it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. So, um, do you have any part of the uh, the select up in Birmingham? Uh, you know, not anymore. Um, I was uh, with them on the initial launch, set up the set. So and this is the slightly smaller store. Definitely <laughs> smaller store. Uh, what tenth is, what is of it? the size. So, so uh, you only have one one location, even though there is another holiday market somewhere. You only have the one location, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. So Holiday Market Select is a Birmingham location, kind of a satellite. Yeah. It is much smaller. Um, <laughs> a few people actually- But it's mostly booze, though, I feel like. I, well, it is now. I mean, because they realize that that's what, where the sales are when it, it comes to that area. And I mean, it's essentially an upscale 7-Eleven, but it's awesome. <laughs> that's true. Um, pretty cool stuff in there. I mean, they have to-go salads, things like that, like all the du jour stuff and, is in there. So, And then they have a good- beer and liquor selection and wine selection. And that's, that's kind of what their working process is. It's small, but they have a good produce selection too. I mean, they're, they're doing a few things, but it's in Birmingham. It's on um 15 mile at uh, Southfield between Southfield and Mosser, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, it's, Oh yeah. I, I started, I opened it. I helped uh, set up the set and then I kind of curated it for a little while and just let it go to them because there was no way I could do both. It just, it, it plus it wasn't moving as quickly as we had had hoped really with the beginning of the process. And it, it seemed like the area wasn't going to support craft beer, not that much anyway, but it seems like things are turning around for them when it comes to that. And they're getting more customers that are interested in different things. So I am thankful for that. But you can send the $20,000 scotches over there, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Anytime. So l- let's talk about these limited releases a little bit more. And um, the, the kind of like, the planning that goes into one of them. 
So you're going to have a beer, uh, any limited release. You have a very little bit of even bourbon. Let's talk about the bourbons as well. That that goes into the same pile. Um, how how quickly do you announce a release, and then how quickly do people start lining up? All right, so we're talking about bigger releases at this point. So that would be the Bourbon County, the KBS, the releases like that. So I mean, the the weekly releases, the things I only get like two or three cases of. I try to keep. You know, I tell people when it's coming in just kind of quickly. But for the most part, when it comes to bigger releases like KBS and Bourbon County, I try to alert people at least five days prior. I figured out that I, I, I try to eliminate complaining as much as possible. So I listen to people as much as I can and decide what the best course of action is. And trial and error over the last 10 years has taught me that you give people lead time. You try to do it on a weekend. You do it as early as possible. Or yeah, really, it took me a while to learn the earliest possible thing. And that worked really well for rebuttal. Um, we cannot anticipate. And I get questions all the time. Like, when are people going to start lighting up? I have no idea. How, how long do you think it'll last? Really? Same question. Don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's things like that, that they don't just don't realize that there's no way I could know that. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how many people are going to rush in here right now, which sometimes does happen. There'll be 10 or 15 people come in right in a row. And then all of a sudden it's gone. But if you had a webcam outside, your... oh yeah, then they could follow it. And that would be really interesting. <laughs> Subscribe. Yeah. Have them pay for that. Oh, there you go. That's a good plan. Um, the people, I, it, it just depends. People show up the night before on some things. It has to be really, That's really nuts. big. Well, like I got to work at, I want to say it was about quarter to six on rebuttal release day and the parking lot was full. Well, and they hyped it. I feel like they hyped it pretty hard too. Yeah, we, we helped get that big. There was probably 90 people in line when I got there. That's amazing. So, and how many did you get? I think we had 180 to sell. Oh. We went through them in the line though. Nice. They were gone. Nice. Yeah, it was 180. Um, the first person got there at like one o'clock in the morning. The night before, usually, typically, depending on release, anywhere between if it's eight o'clock in the morning, usually I get people at five. I mean, it's not like incredibly early, but sometimes it'll be the night before and it'll be insane. It, it usually starts to build up or gets big right before it. So we get like 60, 70 people like 10 minutes before I start, you know, or something like that. Usually with KBS and Bourbon County, that's kind of how it works. Because people have kind of figured out, well, you know, it might still be there when they start to release it, which is what I'm hoping for, because I don't want to clog our aisles for the entire two hours before I right. release it when we're open. So I try not to have that happen, but sometimes it's just impossible to avoid. And people are like, why are these people lining up so early? That's the other complaint is that you do things too early. And I'm like, well, if people are going to be early now, they'll be early later. It's not really like it matters. Like you're still going to be at the end of the, the 150 that we're planning on showing up early anyway. I, it, it's just, it's hard to get that across to some people and they just don't understand it. I, I do see stuff posts like, do these people have jobs? And I'm like, <laughs> they all came in their lunch hour. What do you want me to do? Like they don't have jobs that are not as flexible as yours. And I understand that that's tough. I mean, I get 20 minutes to sit in the office while I essentially watch for customers to walk down the aisle to eat. So, I mean, it's not like I get a break really right, either. Right. Um, I totally get it. And I get that it's frustrating sometimes when it comes to beers like that. But luckily there's enough, they're making enough of these things now that they're easier to find at different stores. So I'm not the only one with almost anything. Your Bourbon County was pretty good this year, right? Didn't you get a pretty good haul? No. I, oh, you didn't? No, it was okay. bad. I, I should have, based on what I sold, I should have gotten more, but they just did not get enough beer to oh, send me more. We need to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. It was a mess. Yeah. It's, I can play to ABI too. She, one of the women that works for them came into town and I was like, 
it's sitting all over in Florida and New York. If you would have just sent those pallets to me, they'd be gone. And it's funny when you watch the groups like that, you totally see that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, case going stacks. to Florida. Yeah. Yeah. There's case stacks all over the floor. And I, I told her, I was like, if you really, if you pick that up from those guys and send it back to Goose Island and send them to me, they would be gone the day they got here. Yeah. Now you have an, another <laughs> uh, collaboration release coming out. So, or you'll have it soon. Uh, actually, out. it's releasing this Saturday. Saturday, and that's with Sellermans? Yep. And what is it? So um, I got together with Sellermans, I want to say two years ago now, and gave them a barrel to make a mead. So we, we decided to go with a sizer. So I gave them our Buffalo Trace store pick, and they used four different Michigan apples along with Star Thistle honey from Petoskey nice. and Asian the Buffalo Trace barrel to make a sizer at 14% alcohol, and it is delicious. And a sizer is? Sizer is a cider slash mead. And will this be a limited release, or is this like something where people have to wait in line for it? Or I mean, it'll be it? a fairly limited release, but there's a decent amount of it, so I actually think that it'll be around for a little bit. We're still we're still messing around with the price because I don't know exactly what the cost will be, but we're looking at about $35 for a 375 milliliter bottle. Okay. And... Um, the, the stuff's fantastic. You get, you get apple, you get the honey, you get the bourbon and vanilla caramel on it, and it's just unbelievable. It spent 16 months in the barrel. I think I said 14, but spent 16 months in the barrel. It was quite a while. I thought they'd pull it out a little earlier, but you know, I'm glad it, it spent that extra time in there. Um, there should be a decent amount of it. We're going to sell it during the same day as the Spring Mead Fest Day. It's also Cinco de Mayo and the Kentucky Derby, so Jesus, it should be an interesting day of people buying bourbon and Corona. But... um uh, in Mead now, so I, I think it'll be a good time. All right. Ashley, where can people find you online? So it's Holiday Market Beer? Yeah, so I, it's kind of tough because people end up liking both pages, but I'm at Holiday Market Beer on Facebook. All right. And Instagram. And Instagram. Mm-hmm. Can All I right. do a quick complaint? Okay. Where's my lemonade? It's right here. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Ashley, thanks for being with us. Best of luck in your future uh, limited release endeavors. Thank you. Uh, Until next time, dine well, friends.